Welcome to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. We talk to extraordinary people that you've heard of and extraordinary people that you haven't. We pick their brains about how they get stuff done. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. This week's guest is Cosentino, magician, illusionist, and escapologist. It seems most kids go through a magic phase, usually after visiting a joke shop or seeing a street performer do an amazing card trick. The thing is, being a magician looks fashy and fabulous on the surface, but it's actually one of the most disciplined professions around. The magician dream often dies when kids figure out that performing is about 1% of the job and the rest is diligently sitting in front of a mirror for hours on end, practicing passing a coin from one hand to another without anyone seeing it. Cosentino is arguably one of Australia's most prolific and talented magicians with years of touring under his belt. He's currently focused on magic education and since his live performances have been cancelled for the foreseeable future, he has turned his attention to his magic school, teaching kids how to master the art of magic. We chat about discipline, overcoming learning disabilities, the importance of routine and how being obsessed with details could actually save your life. Welcome to the show, Cosentino. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, that's lovely of you. Let's jump straight into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you are a a magician and you're a very successful one. Can you tell us what led to you pursuing this as a career? Yes. So most people think I will tell a story about um, seeing a magician on TV or maybe, I don't know, as a kid, a magician came to a birthday party or, or something like that. That's not my story. I actually didn't know anything about magic or magicians. I got interested in magic in a, in a, in a odd and strange way by accident, by coincidence. Um, I as a child, had a lot of learning difficulties, reading, writing, spelling. My mother was, actually still is a school principal, and I was that kid that would sit up the back of the classroom, avoid being asked a question because I didn't want to look silly, giving the wrong answers, very shy, um, very low self-esteem, and I couldn't read. I couldn't read at all, and that's because I was disconnected. And, and the, the specialist tried everything. I remember going to the hearing specialist. I said, he can't read because he can't hear properly, and that was fine. I could hear properly. Then they said um, it was my eyes. I couldn't see properly, and I, I remember them asking me to read the alphabet, and I couldn't read the alphabet, so they gave me glasses. But that, there's a big difference between not being able to see the alphabet and not been able to read the alphabet. I could see. Anyway, ended up with glasses, so misdiagnosed. In the end, there was actually nothing wrong with me. It was, I mean, there was things wrong, but it, it had led to the point that I'd fallen behind, fallen through the cracks, come up with ways to disguise my disabilities and kind of was hiding in plain sight. And my mother kept trying and trying to get me to to read. Now, she takes me to the library, which is, of course, the last place a kid who can't read wants to be. And she forces me to be there. And I'm looking at books with pictures because I can't read. And I stumble across this beautiful book that has these old vaudevillian posters of very famous magicians like Houdini and Thurston. And I'm looking at them. My mother from across the room sees me and she thinks, yes, hallelujah, he's interested in a book because I was. And the book's look like comic comics to me. And my mother points to the she says, what are you looking at? And I point to a picture and she says, oh, that's Houdini. And she reads his tagline. He had like this, this 
Like, you know, like how Superman has, um, you know, can leap bound, uh, buildings in a single bound. Well, his tagline was, nothing on earth can hold Houdini a prisoner. And I asked my mother, what does that mean? And she said, well, he can escape from anything. He can, he was a man that could escape from jails. I said, jails? Really? Remember, I'm 12. And she goes, yeah, yeah. And he would jump off bridges. And I'd be like, what? And I go, oh, so he's a superhero. And mum would be like, uh, well, yeah, but he wasn't make believe. He's not fantasy. He was a real, real man. And, you know, there was mystery around him, a myth where people thought that maybe he dematerialized through the handcuffs and the chains and the locks rather than pick them. And so all these great myths. So we read these stories, these escapades of Houdini and how he goes to Scotland Yard and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, in the back of the book, so you can see I'm interested in that book. In the back of the book, it has magic tricks. Now, these are not tricks made for children. It's adults, adult instructional reading. So to learn the tricks, my mother would read the trick to me. We would look at the hand illustrations and then I would get a pack of cards and go, oh, okay, so the illustration says put the pack of cards in your in your left hand. Okay, and I'd copy and then I'd have to understand and analyze every word. Put your left little pinky on the back of the card. This is what we call mechanic script. What's mechanic script mean? Oh, so the breaking down of words and analyzing them led to this reading process as opposed to just listening to a story. And that for me was the key. It was uh, break down the words, analyze the words, look at the pictures, apply, repeat. Magic is all about repetition. To learn a trick, you have to repeat. You've got to make the unnatural look natural and you do this through repetition. Well, what happens when you keep reading? Through repetition, through understanding the words, seeing them multiple times, I learned to read. Reading is linked to writing, linked to spelling. More importantly, it was linked to confidence. And the side effect was that I gained a very unique skill. And that was magic. Now, at 12 years old, I could do things that nobody else could do. So magic started by, by, I guess, a coincidence, by accident, just wanting to read. And then you probably, the next, you'll probably say, well, okay, so I get that you learned to read and I get that you were interested in magic, but why, why, why magic? Because the first trick I performed was making a coin disappear. I know you're thinking coin disappear. All kids can make money disappear. It was an actual <laughs> trick. It was for my father. My father's a structural engineer. As a 12 year old kid, to me, he was a genius. Now, I make this 20 cent coin disappear, very basic, and my father, who's a genius, says to me, how did you do it? Now, there is a massive transfer of power but because I can do something that my father cannot. And that then sent me on this path of obsession to do things that nobody else could do. As a kid who's shy, the world is problematic. He's picked on. He sits in the back of the uh, back of the room. Now he can do something that a structural engineer, his father cannot. Huge, huge, like um, adrenaline boost to my confidence, and that's what started the magic, and that's what kept me going. And magic is all about. You'll notice that most pre-adolescent boys get into magic because it's a, it's really about power. It's a power struggle. I just wanted to stop and interrupt here to repeat what Cosentino just said. There's a massive transferal of power when you can do what nobody else can do. It's a beautiful reminder to always be unique and strive to be the best.
And I'm very um, conscious of why I started. It's different now uh, why I do it, but but that was the beginning. If I could control things, if I could, I would make birds appear out of thin air. I could make money multiply. And they're all the first tricks I kind of did. And they all kind of eat fire. All things about controlling the elements. Pretty interesting stuff. So that's how it started. Long story, but it gives you some context of where I was coming from and, and, and maybe your listeners of, of why... I guess some people become obsessed with certain things and my obsession started with the fact that I could now do things that nobody else could and it built my confidence. That's fantastic. I loved hearing about that. Uh, with your disability, with, with, with your learning problems that you had, were you ever actually diagnosed with anything or was it more that you just through practice and through finding different things figured out that you just processed information in a more unusual way than other people? Exactly. Now, uh, that's that's a really good point. I'm glad you cleared that up because I get that question asked a lot. Are you dyslexic? And some people mistake that. Um, every now and then, I, I even now still, I can jumble little words up. Or I think I read something and I misread it. Um, but that's not a hundred. I've never been di- um, diagnosed with dyslexia. Hundred. Although. Actually, the more I'm, as I've matured now, I notice that a lot. I notice I look at words, I glimpse very quickly and I, 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 I miss see it. Anyway, with that being said, no, I wasn't diagnosed with anything like that. But I, I as you said, I've now learnt different methods, um, uh, different teaching methods where I teach myself to learn. So, for example, when I did legal studies at school, at, uh, I was going to say university, uh, year 12, I remember the way the teacher w- was teaching I couldn't quite compute. So I would go home and teach myself. So I learned little tricks and I knew how to teach myself because I was teaching myself magic. Remember, this is before YouTube. This is for before Google. So I had to, had to learn magic myself. So I applied it to my legal studies and not to, um, uh, diminish anything from, from the legal studies teacher. But I just couldn't learn that way. Now, legal studies became my best subject. I ended up with a not, uh, enter score of 90. So just to once again, give you context, it wasn't because he didn't know how to teach. It's because I couldn't learn that way. So I guess that kind of answers your question. I knew little tricks and methods to teach myself to memorize um, certain information because um, that's what it was all about, actually, when I did year 12. It was basically regurgitating information. Just ways of, of remembering things and then being able to prove that it was that that's the way that you learned it. Exactly. Can you please tell me, I know that you said that your career in magic wasn't necessarily inspired by magicians, but I think everyone kind of has uh, crushes, I guess, on magicians because even I I know that there are – Magic and being a magician is a very niche area, but I do think that magic is something that everyone enjoys. It's not, I I don't think that you have to be into magic in order to go to a magic show. And I think that comes out in the fact that there are just so many huge name magicians that, that people will go and see, even if that's not necessarily a thing that they're particularly into. Can you tell us your three favorite magicians ever? Yeah, and you're right. I, I originally didn't get into magic because I saw a magician, but then what happens is as you go on this path and you start to unearth um, the secrets of magic, you get inspired by different magicians. So the first one would be Harry Houdini from that book. I mean, Houdini was far more than a magician. He was a symbol. He's an immigrant. He came to America, this little guy who is a symbol of you can do anything, which I picked up on as a 12-year-old kid. 
I didn't quite understand it at the time. Now, as I reflect back, I understand what I was attracted to. I understand the imagery. I understand, like, seeing him with the handcuffs up his up his wrists. You've probably seen a photo of me like that too, which was inspired me. But seeing all that, there was connections between that and what I was looking in comic books. And so he was a symbol and he represented, you know, uh, being liberated, uh, all these great things. So definitely Houdini. Then when I was about 13, 14, there was a guy called David Copperfield and he was very theatrical, uh, had a very kind of romantic um, approach. Uh, so he definitely inspired me. And then later on in the, 19, in the late 19, in 1999, it was a guy called David Blaine who had this very grungy street style magic. Um, so you put those together, those three magicians, and then other people, which I, I know that that's, this is not the answer to your question, but other people like um, uh, Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, Walt Disney, Bruce Lee, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Prince, and you get this hybrid of what is is me, what has inspired me. I think you absolutely nailed it. I get feelings of all of those performers from the stuff that I've seen of you. I have actually seen you live. I saw you live in Melbourne many, I, many years ago. <laughs> I'm like, I, know, I read that and I was very excited to hear that because a lot of the times people who, who, who speak with me, maybe they haven't seen the show. So I, it feels great that, that you actually have. I hope it was a good show. It was a fantastic <laughs> show. And at the time okay. I remember looking at the show and thinking that there were a lot of parallels with David Copperfield, which I just love because I think that there's uh, a, a very beautiful kind of nostalgic old timey uh, brand for lack of a better word in the way that you perform, which I just love. I think it's, it's so many people try to put hardcore modern spins on things, but I just, I love the nostalgia and the theatrics and the, the glamour in the performing that you do. I think it's a, a lost art and I love that you are keeping it alive. Thank you. Yeah, I like the fact that a lot of magic and look, I, I, I am, I'm guilty of this myself a little bit in my TV specials, but a lot of the magic, the, um, the theater has come out of the performance where it's just like you're on the street, you got a pack of cards and it's like, I'm just going to freak you out and be <laughs> as cool as I can be, which is fine. What, but what I love is when I get to be on stage and I feel that's, uh, well, my, that, that, that's where I get the most enjoyment is, is having, turning a trick into an illusion by adding lighting and sound and costume and choreography and speech and storytelling. And then it becomes more. I get it's about the trick and people go, Oh, well, how did he do that? But, but they get lost in a little bit. Like I do this piece where I, I link the old linking rings and my rings float around the stage. But what's so important about the trick? is it's one of the first tricks I performed for my mother who taught me magic, taught me to read. And she said to me, true story, that when you grow up and you become a magician, that's what you want to do. Keep. She actually said when you grow up and you become famous, she was very, 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 um, she had a lot of belief in me. And she said that when that happens, that would you keep the linking rings in the show for us? So I talk about that. I tell the story. Now people, the trick is good. The story is better. And that's what people connect with. And, and that's why I keep it in the show. So there's an example of, of just, you know, storytelling, adding more to it than just, just performing tricks. Yeah. Just flashy tricks. I love that. Uh, mm. so I certainly don't want you to give away any of your secrets. I would never ask you to do that, but what is the most memorable show you've done? Did something go wrong? Did something amazing happen? Oh, that is so hard to choose because there's so many, there's so many shows that I, that, that are memorable. 
Okay, one that really jumps out, and the thing about it is, it's hard for me to talk about. Not hard to talk about, but it's an interesting choice for me because you kind of go, well, what, what, what exactly? It's hard for me to articulate what I'm about to tell you. Which you think, well, then don't choose that one because <laughs> <laughs> if you can't talk about it, don't choose that one. But I'm being very honest and, and, and authentic. So, after Australia's Got Talent, I did a run of theatre shows at the Athenaeum in, in Melbourne, um, and it was my first time being in a, a legitimate. Uh, CBD Melbourne Theatre because I'd always done the regional shows. I'd done Essendon. I'd been close, but never in the heart of the city. So after Australia's Gotella, we put on a run of shows there and there was just something about those shows where after 15 years to get to that point where I had been honing my craft, doing regional shows, doing shopping centres, doing schools, doing, doing um, cruise ships, Honing, 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 refining my craft, refining, working on my imagery, blah, 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 blah. I can go on about that for hours talking about that. But anyway, so 15 years, and then I get to Australia's Talent, and success comes from there. We build on it, kind of supercharges everything, and I do these shows at the Athenaeum, and I seem to be – there's a point where you're not thinking about the technique of the magic. You're not thinking about – what's happening next, but you truly are. So I was at the Athenaeum and the, uh, what I was saying was I was, the show was memorable because it was the first time I'd felt like I was in a show where I was actually genuinely in the moment. Now that means that you're, you're, you're riding this, it feels like a wave. You're riding the wave of the audience and you know, you're not, you're not questioning if you're about to say a line, if it's going to be funny, you're not questioning what's going to happen next. It's very hard to explain, but you just seem to be sitting in the pocket and everything you do or touch is memorable. And the audience is hanging on every word and they're laughing at every, and you now can be free. You're not bound by the technique. You're not bound by the lighting. You're not, and that's a very rare moment. It doesn't happen a lot. It, years between sometimes that, that feeling. And when it happens, it, it's, that's when they say, you know, you've got the, the audience in the palm of your hand. That's when you, re, you know, people say, oh yeah, the audience in the palm of your hand. I know the difference between when I have the audience in the palm of my hand, which you do, but when you have it to the point that people are literally in awe because everything is precise and just happens so naturally. So for me, that Athenaeum show is very memorable. With that being said, I'll give you another one. I remember 2008, I was doing an underwater escape and my hands are placed through a grill, they're handcuffed, and then the grill is lowered onto me. I take my breath and I go into this tank. Well, my brother's holding the grill and as we went down, we go down together because he's holding the grill behind me. As we went down, I went too fast and he... He hit me on the head and I, 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 I let go. I let go of my breath. Now I'm underwater. So what happens is the grill goes on top. My hands are handcuffed. All the rods are placed through, padlocked. It's hoisted into the air. That takes 30 seconds. I call a timeout. There's a, a signal I have to call a timeout because my brothers watch me with a stopwatch. They know exactly where I'm supposed to be on every lock and they go, oh, oh he's, he's rock. It's not where he's meant to be. They then have to lower the tank back down take off the padlocks, take off the handcuffs, take out the rod. So a minute passes and I'm out of breath and they pull me out of the tank in front of a live audience. And it was, and the music shuts 
and the audience was dead silent. I walk off stage. They pull, they literally drag me off. Five minutes passes. I come back on. I address the audience and explain what just happened. They went wrong. And the audience is just, and then I, I said to them, I'm going to do it again. Hello, just interrupting this episode super quickly to tell you that I have a goal to get to 500 reviews of productivity by the end of 2021. To date, we're at 217 and I would love to double that number. My Kate Sobrano episode was listened to over 5,000 times. So if just 2.5% of the people who listened to that episode left a review, I'd be at my goal today. If you love this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review. Just search for productivity in your podcast app, scroll down and click leave a review. Thank you so much. And they erupted like cheered and people started going no don't do it we know you can don't try it was and this is before anyone really knew who I was and so that to me showed an interesting element to the show where the audience really now instead of everything being so perfect and going so well they really felt the danger because because they'd experienced it and therefore there was this tension build up and then when I accomplished it this release and that's I learned that skill uh, to put that into the show, to make tension and release, tension and release. And so that happened by accident, really, really scary, very, very dangerous uh, and a great lesson uh, I learned. So those two really stand out for me and very, very different. One's kind of death-defying and one is about just being in that in that moment. Yeah, I'm sitting here like uh, theoretically and uh, literally pearl clutching. That was the sounded horrifying being stuck in there. Um, I'm glad you made it out. Okay, I you know you, you you look at those magician tricks, particularly the underwater ones. I've always found them very stressful, um, and also knowing that they are real. You are actually in the water and you are actually yep. escaping is you know, still just, I think that you'd have to have, to have so much discipline to, to do that. And you imagine you do a two hour show, you're running around, you're jumping, you're, you're skipping, you're, you're, you're screaming. And then at the end of a two hour show, you have to compose yourself and jump in a water tank and hold your rest for two minutes. And that's two minutes of movement. That's not still. That's not like sitting on a couch. And so all that crazy, crazy, crazy for two hours and then trying to zen and focus in is very, very hard. And as you said, requires a tremendous amount of discipline to be able to focus. And it's really interesting because when you're in the tank of water, for the first time in the show, I can't hear the audience. I can't see the audience. And so... I'm by myself for the first time in two hours. And it's a very, very strange feeling. And it really is quite an adrenaline rush because first off, you're depriving yourself of oxygen. So when you take your first breath, you get this rush. Plus you can't see the audience. Plus you can't hear the audience. So it's like, and I don't want to be over-dramatize it, but it is like a little bit of a rebirth. You come out of it, you've accomplished this crazy thing. You take your breath, the audience, you see the audience, you hear the audience, you hear them applauding. It's a pretty big rush and um that's that's kind of the the addiction to um i don't drink i don't smoke don't do any drugs but i have that kind of addiction i'm very much addicted to that applause and um like tinkerbell correct (laughs) exactly exactly 
so in recent years, you have expanded your brand to include children's books and magic tricks, which I just think is so brilliant because magic is such a wonderful, wholesome hobby for kids. Uh, it gets them away from screens. It, uh, it's, it's collaborative. It's entertaining. I just, I, I just think it's such a positive thing for children to do. Um, can you tell us what you think some of the benefits are for children in learning magic? Well, uh, as you said, we, we, we've come up with our own children's books, which are designed for eight to 12 year old reluctant readers. Uh, they're kind of books that I wanted when I was a kid that are engaging, that are beautifully illustrated. Um, but putting all that to one side, ma- magic is a beautiful art form when it's executed correctly. It teaches you first of sleight of hand skill, which is motor skills, fine motor skills, dexterity. It teaches you discipline. It teaches you how to rehearse and practice, which is also discipline the same way when a kid would, a child will learn martial arts. Um, it, it teaches you creativity. When I was a child, I would take lamps off my father's desk and wrap them in cellophane to create lighting effects. I'd write my own speeches. I would get out the, the handy cam and create my own TV show. When you get into magic, magic is about, it's a performing art. So it is about that performing. So you, you get creative. My nephews and nieces put on their own magic shows. And they have to think about their routines. They have to think about their speech. They have to think about their presentation. These are great things, as you said, instead of being in front of a, a, a device. And it builds confidence. It, 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 for me as well, I learned to speak properly. I obviously learned to read. I learned to present. All these things that I didn't even know about, care about. I learned to, uh, I learned mathematics by counting cards. There's so many wonderful things that come from magic that, that, um, that people have no idea about. Even the way, like, I look at certain illusions and I look at the uh, geometry and architecture of things. So this, uh, magic as a, as a, as an art form, uh, for children is, is, it's all, it's all upside. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And even if it's just a bare bones minimum gives a child, um, confidence to do something that, that, that an adult can't. As simple as that. I love that. Uh, so you, you were talking about the discipline that children can get from magic and certainly the discipline that you got from learning about magic. Pretty safe to say that being a magician requires next level discipline and practice. So th- this podcast is actually a uh, productivity podcast. So that's what our listeners are into, self-improvement. So how do your habits come into play here and what's your morning routine like? And do you have systems that you use every day? Yeah, I do have a morning routine. So my day, I mean, it's very different now because of COVID, but my day typically, um, so what happens is I get up, I get up pretty late. So I get up about 7.30 and then what I'll do is I'll, I get up, I have to feed the cats. I have two Bengal cats. We have two Bengal cats. I feed them. I clean. They've got a little cat room. They've got a cat room with shelves and all this. So I go into the room. What I are your clean their I've got Dante, which is after a famous magician, and Diamond, and they're Bengals. They're beautiful cats, but they've got their own little room with a run and little shelves and little. We've got a whole. um, Yeah. Anyway, it's a bit crazy. Bengals are like the mini tigers, right? Correct. They're beautiful cats. Yeah, they're beautiful. So they've got a little tree they can climb. So every morning I go in there and I feed them and then I, 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 I clean them because it's a whole room. And then basically from there I, I go into the bathroom. I usually rinse, rinse. First thing, I, I don't shower in the morning, I shower at night. So I, I wash my face, rinse my mouth, get ready, and then I go to the gym. 
I do uh, about a 35, 45-minute workout. Grab a coffee on the way to work, on the way to work, get to work. If I, I get to work and I mean work by just before 10. If I have a meeting, I'll shower. We've got showers here. Uh, otherwise, I, I pretty much, if I'm staying in the office, I'm, I'm okay to just be in the office in my gym gear, whatever it is. But then from there, it's, it depends on what's happening in the day. So it might be a promo day which means I might have to travel. Usually I travel to the city if we're doing photo shoots. If it's not a promo day, it might just be a normal email work day. So my days start the same, but they change depending on what's structured for the week. So if we go back to last year, every Friday, Saturday, we were usually away. I averaged out to be away, averaged two days a week travel. So that's quite a lot. Um, we have four major pillars throughout the year, which would mean, uh, so like a regional tour, a national tour, um, an international tour, and then maybe like an in-between, like a, we did shows at Dreamworld, which we did for three weeks. We did the Royal Melbourne show. So we have four main pillars and those, each of those four main shows require a month of rehearsal, which is about five to six days, eight hours a day. So if you take that, that's almost like four months of just rehearsing. So you need to adjust the show's because there would they be change. a difference between doing a national show in giant theatres and then you'd mm-hmm. have to kind of scale it down for your smaller theatres, right? Exactly. So the reason why I tell you that is that's kind of my structure. That's kind of my system. Each each tour, each show is different, which requires different rehearsals. And so let's say it's just before a tour. That entire month would be exactly what I just described, getting up, doing the cats, washing myself, going to the gym, coming to work, rehearsal. That would happen for a month. Then let's say that month is finished. It would be the same routine in the morning, but now it might be working on the next children's books, which would be in the office doing emails or working on the next magic kits. At the moment, it's the same process, except that basically on Mondays, I'm filming YouTube videos. Tuesday, I'm editing videos. Uh, Wednesday, we're doing like factory fix-ups at the moment because we can and then Thursday's editing again, and then Friday's actual me practicing. So I've taken the same process and just replaced it now because we can't do live shows. I'm very much about everything has to be systematic. Everything's got to be labeled. Everything's got to be placed in the right positions. And, and, and like even down to our video equipment, every lens cap has got its millimeters written on it. Every cable has got its wrapped, taped and marked in the right way and that's the same with all my magic i've got rooms upstairs where it's all close-up magic stage magic card magic everything is in the right place so i'm very much about those systems um it just helps me to stay organized it helps i don't know i just mentally it feels better we have a costume room where all my costumes are lined up all the dancers costumes are lined up the crew kind of a costumes so very 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 much into that kind of that that system um but at the moment yeah i've tried to give myself a routine as i explained but it's it's a bit more fluid at the moment because of what's happened with, with actual COVID. Um, How are you coping yeah. not performing at the moment? Um, it's interesting. I, I mean, I guess for me, the outlet is making these YouTube videos or I'm teaching magic or I'm commentating on my own magic. So I, teaching the magic, I'm still performing because I perform the magic and then I teach it. So it's the same. But it's not the same as doing it in front of a live audience. Um, yeah, it's kind of tough. I, I, I think about... 
magic, once again, is such a discipline that comes through repetition and that repetition hasn't happened now for a year. It's going to be very interesting when I go back to doing a live show, being in front of a live audience, how I now cope with those the, the, the nerves because I always get nervous before a show it doesn't matter if it's five people or 500 people or 5,000 people so that's going to be interesting um, but yes I'm very much disciplined about oh and uh, same with my gym workouts if we're talking about those types of things I do a five day split uh, I take my protein straight after the gym so I, I always have this I have a very tight structure I um yeah, it's interesting. I'm vegetarian. Like I said, don't drink, don't smoke. Um, I yeah, suspect so that, that I, probably comes from being a magician and doing so many crazy tricks. And if you don't have all of your ducks in a row and your specialty safety things, and, and if you haven't gone around and checked everything, you could die. So I think having those those systems in place would give you a lot of comfort and also keep you safe. Exactly. Because my fiance, she gets so angry at me. Like I even have a routine, obviously before I go to bed, I have a routine like when we're on tour, like I have to set up my, my clothes. I have to iron my, my shirt before, you know, the night before, have it all, my shoes, my socks, you know, all lined up sitting on the couch or whatever it might be on the desk ready to go the next morning because of what you said, because I'm so used to, let's say I'm hanging upside down from burning ropes checking the ropes, you know, checking that, 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 that everything's in place, checking that my ankle straps are tight. Because like you said, if things go wrong, uh, it, it's, it's on me. And, and yeah, you're right. When you, when you say it like that, I actually think about it. that's why I'm so routine. And actual fact, after this, I'm going to explain to Priscilla and say, do you know, do you know why I'm so routine? Because, <laughs> and then there's my explanation. So your fiance is called Priscilla. Correct. Uh, did you guys have to postpone your wedding? We ha- we had to postpone the um, engagement party. Oh. Yeah, so we got engaged in April, um, and it's it's been postponed until. But that's okay. It's not yeah. like we've been together for eight years. It's not like um, we'll, we'll hopefully at the end of the year we'll have a little celebration, and then the wedding will be in another probably another. Uh, Maybe another year and a half, two years now. Yeah, I mean, it would, have, it would have taken that long to plan it anyway. So, correct. No problems exactly. there. So, if you could give one piece of advice for our listeners on focus and discipline, what would you say to them? Yeah, um, this is really interesting because you hear so much about, you hear people talk about it, and it's very different for everybody. I think first off, as a little disclaimer, you need to find the approach that works for you because different people will have different systems. With that being said, you know, focus is really about we have a, we have a saying in magic called misdirection. Misdirection means diverting your attention away from the secret or the method to the trick. So when the magician the magician shows you his left hand, his right hand is actually doing something, doing the dirty work. It's a mystery. You're misdirecting the audience or it's called attention management. You're managing the audience's attention. Okay. The reason why I mentioned that is because focus, that's what happens. You get your, your, your attention gets taken up by there's so much stimuli coming at you. I mean, even in the morning when you get up and you turn on the radio and, and the music's going and then you've got the dog. My dog's here just now. You've got, you got the dog and yapping and then you've got the red lights and so much coming at you you need to focus so the only way to become good at something is to push away all the other stimuli all the other distractions 
and zoning. I know people say about um, multitasking, being multi-skilled, but the reality is you actually can't do that. That you cannot actually focus on two or three different things at once. I've tried it. I try it all the time. It's very, very difficult. You have to zone in and focus on one thing. So for me, it's about, if it's about getting rid of all the other distractions and focusing on, let's say, uh, I've just learned to edit on Premiere Pro. I've been teaching myself how to edit my videos. So I had to push away all the other noise, focus in on Premiere Pro, forget about all other things for a while. And that requires a certain amount of, of um, discipline. But what it requires really is falling in love with the process, not worrying about the end result, like not going, oh, uh, well, if I do A, B, and C, then I'll have this and I'll have that and this will be successful. But not worrying about that, but actually loving the process. So at the moment filming my videos. This is an example because it's very fresh. Filming my videos, editing my videos. I love that process. I don't care about how many people are watching them. I don't care about does it lead to this or an endorsement or that. If you don't love the process, then you can't stay focused. You get distracted. So my real advice to be focused and to be disciplined is to love what you're doing. Otherwise, it's very difficult. I can't remember being at school doing subjects that I didn't like. I couldn't stay focused. So it's kind of hard. Like if you're doing something you don't enjoy or you don't like, it's kind of hard to be focused. And I guess my advice, if, if you're doing something you don't really want to do, it's kind of try and get rid of all the other noise and try and zone in. But reality is do something that you actually love to do, which is easier said than done. But that's my that's my actual advice. You've got to, to be good at something, you've got to love the process. Well, I imagine when you are practicing tricks, so for instance, when you do card tricks, I know that they mm-hmm. require a lot of practice and a lot of discipline and hours and hours and hours of doing it on your own, often in front of a mirror, I've heard mm-hmm. magicians Correct. use a lot. Uh, and the, the payoff is being able to do it in front of someone and to have them go, oh, wow, what an amazing trick. But you have to love the 60 hours that you're spending practicing that trick. And that you, you can't just focus on the payoff. You have to, because otherwise you're not just going to sit there with a deck of cards and practice, are you? Exactly. You have articulated much better than I ever could <laughs> because that's exactly what I'm trying to say to your listeners. It's If I, as a magician, didn't like the process of practice, we do a thing that I call saturation practice. Saturation rehearsal, I call it. Meaning you rehearse, you rehearse, you rehearse, you rehearse, rehearse until it's so oversaturated that you can do it with your eyes shut. Why? Because I need to be able to stand up on stage and present and not worry about the mechanics, not worry about the secret moves. Magicians, as you said, spend hours, weeks practicing a move so you never know how good we really are. Now, a juggler does the opposite. They show you how skillful they are. Uh, so does a singer. They'll do runs on the ladder as they sing and you'll hear how, how, how good they are. Magician, you will never see how good they really are. They're good by the fact that they manage to baffle you. So it's a very interesting art form. And, and if you don't like that process of practice and rehearsal, you can't become good at it. You can't worry about the end result. You, you've got to love the process. And, and, and so that's how I stay focused. And that's my advice is love what you're doing because then you do it. Then you don't get distracted. That's fantastic. I love that. Uh, I'm going to ask you just a few fun little questions at the end because I just, you know, like to get to know my people a of bit. Of course, of course. Uh, what is your favorite TV show that you're watching right now? We are so late. My favorite TV show pretty much of all time is Stranger Things. I absolutely love it. 
I, I'm just a big, big fan. But we just finished maybe a month ago, which we are so late to the party, is uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. Yeah, very late to the party. But you enjoyed it? Like, oh, absolutely loved it. We are so late. I always put it off. I was like, oh, I don't know. And, and, and you know, everyone talks about, I don't know. I, I, I just, but anyway, it, it's, it, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So, um, yeah, so of all time, but it has to be, it has to be, um, has to be Stranger Things. But there's so many good TV shows. I mean, honestly, Breaking Bad and, <laughs> you know, Billion, Billionaires. Uh, uh, oh, there's so many. Yeah, I, I'll say Stranger Things. It's at the top of mind. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, also, what is your go-to midweek meal, like a quick dinner that you're going to throw together in the middle of the week? I'm a terrible chef. I say chef. So my fiance does all the cooking. I'm so lucky. Um, she's very health conscious. She's a Pilates instructor. She's a health coach, um, yoga, professional musical theatre performer. Um, so what is, what is, I, I'm, I'm answering her question. What is her go-to meal? She does some really great stuff. We have, um, uh, she's vegetarian as well. Uh, go, what's the actual go? We have actually quite, quite structured routines, uh, structured meals every, every, um, like tonight, for example, we have, um, tofu tacos. So, um, a go-to meal would be, um, we don't really have one. I mean, last night we did, um, we, we were a bit cheeky. We did pasta. Uh, my favorite is actually to eat pasta. That's my, like, if I could just choose something, I'd say I, I love, I love pasta, but we have vegan cheese on it and, um, it's not cooked, uh, you know, in, in too much oil or, or anything like that. She makes her own um, p- pesto pasta sauce, that type of thing. And I didn't answer your question. No, 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 you did. I think I will. Our listeners are always really curious about, you know, how the, the everyday things about how people live their lives. And so I think if you don't have a go-to dinner, then that's a really excellent answer because there are some people out there who just don't have go-to dinners. Yeah, so that's it a, shows that's- you how... How structured I am. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, And I know you're very health conscious, but what is your favorite treat? Oh, if I could have anything, it's, it's, uh, pizza. I, I, you know, and you know why? I, I've even got a reason because if you're in a foreign country, uh, you might be in the Philippines, you might be in Taiwan, you might be Indonesia, you can't speak the language, let's say. Pizza always is okay. It's not the healthiest meal, obviously, but at least you know you can't go too wrong. Like it's not going to be terrible. Um, so I always have that as my backup. So I, I do love a cheeky pizza uh, every now and then. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Even, even bad pizza is edible. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. That This interview has been marvellous. There are so many Aww. excellent nuggets in there. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I, I can't wait for our listeners to hear this. My absolute pleasure. It's been a joy and um, I've had a lot of fun. Excellent. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. And that was Cosentino, the illustrious illusionist. The main thing I took away from chatting to Cosentino was the importance of focus. He chose the thing that he wanted to excel at and just went for it. That's not realistic or even enjoyable for a lot of us, but as a hardcore jack of all trades, I really admire and also envy people who are just so focused on one solid goal. 
It's also incredibly energizing talking to people who have overcome hurdles and learned to do things in their own way. Way back when I was a teacher, it always broke my heart that there's so little space in traditional classrooms for non-traditional learners. So it's really uplifting to see a shy kid with low self-esteem who struggled to read flourishing in such a spectacular way. On another note, I really loved the reminder of magic as a hobby or interest for kids. It's just so wholesome and healthy. So if you have a kid that needs a hobby away from screens, look up Cosentino because he has some fantastic resources for kids who want to learn how to do magic. My top three takeaways. Number one, find a learning method that works for you. For instance, I am a very good reading learner. When I read things, I remember them. That doesn't work for everyone. You might be a better oral learner or a physical learner or a kinesthetic learner. Look at the way you absorb information and what method it was that got you to absorb that information and to make it stick and try to explore that a bit more and find ways to absorb information that work for you. Number two, practice, practice, practice. I absolutely love this one. I think in this modern world, we're so used to thinking that we're going to be good at things immediately and we're not. I blame TikTok for a lot of that, actually, when you've got all of those kids doing their cool dances and you just see this little 15 second snippet of it and you're not as fantastic as at dancing as they are when you try it the first time around. You have to practice, practice, practice. Number three, the importance of desire really was the driving force that taught him an important life skill. You know, he found that vintage magic book and wanted to learn how to do the tricks, but in order to learn how to do the magic, he had to learn to read. So he did. And I think it's such a wonderful lesson to use desire as the driving force to get you to do the things that you want to do. You know, hardcore discipline isn't everyone's bag, but it's so inspiring to see what someone can achieve through that unparalleled focus. Coming up next week on the show is Naomi Simpson, founder of Red Balloon and one of the sharks on Australia's Shark Tank. She is this season's book club author. The book is Live What You Love. You have one week to read it before the next episode. So get cracking. Thank you for listening to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at carlyjacobs.com. That's carlyjacobs, D-O-T-C-O-M. You can also email me productivity at carlyjacobs.com. I actually really, really love hearing from listeners. So seriously, don't be shy. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash productivity. This season's book club pick is Live What You Love by entrepreneur Naomi Simpson. And we have Naomi on the show later in the season to answer all your questions about the book. You can purchase the book at Naomi Simpson, S-I-M-S-O-N.com and use the code productivity10 for a 10% discount. You have until the end of November, 2020 to read the book and get your questions in. So get reading. Also, if you love the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Even $5 a month would be a huge help in covering production, editing, equipment, promotion, and guest wrangling. Just visit patreon.com forward slash productivity. Oh, and one more thing, please leave a rating and a review. It's the best way to help other people find the podcast. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life.